Welcome to Centering Health Equity. I'm Dwayne Reynolds, co-host and president of the Chartist Just Health Collective. And I'm Maria Hernandez, your co-host and COO of Impact for Health. In today's episode, we explore the use of health equity rounds, a unique approach to rounding that encourages physicians and other members of the care team to explore the social drivers that can impact the course of care for patients. Our show features Dr. Atalo Brown and Dr. Stephanie Brown, who are not related but share a deep commitment to bring health equity rounds as a new approach to reduce bias in medicine. Dr. Atalo Brown is a board-certified emergency room physician and assistant professor in emergency medicine and health equity and social justice curriculum thread lead at Stanford University School of Medicine. Dr. Stephanie Brown is an emergency room physician at Alta Bates Summit Medical Center with Sutter Health. She's also the clinical lead for Sutter Health's Institute for Advancing Health Equity. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Stephanie and Italo. I'm really delighted that you're here and super proud of this show because I know something about what we've done to get this started at one of the sites that's near and dear to my heart. So I want to start by asking you, Italo, if you could define what health equity rounds are and how they're being used at Stanford Medical Center. It'd be great to hear a little bit about the story behind this and how you got started. Certainly. So health equity rounds essentially is a didactic approach to learning about concepts that are native to health equity and social justice. It's an anti-racism framework and it allows for conversation uh, that typically doesn't occur in medical spaces. The way that this kind of came about, honestly, is built on the backbone of work done out of Boston. Uh, There's a Boston children's group that decided that they wanted their uh, resident education to have more content in the health equity space. And so they piloted a couple of lectures that instead of focusing on clinical pearls, they focused on these pearls of health equity. And what they found is the engagement was very high. Uh, People were very receptive to it. And they were walking away with some take-home messages and ability to brainstorm solutions. And so that became the backbone of what health equity rounds is. Now, a lot of institutions do this in some form or fashion, but Really, the the unique thing about the approach is having a focused conversation, including some guided imagery exercises, and then being sure to add or rather supplement the knowledge with a contextual understanding. And then finally, giving people an opportunity to develop or devise some type of uh, solutions to the problems that are identified through those cases. So most people in medical education have been exposed to case-based learning before. This is just a little spin on it. And again, it focuses more so on things like implicit bias versus explicit bias, anti-racism, and other undertones related to uh, health equity. So Italo, I understand that you designed a specific model for the health equity rounds at Stanford. I wonder if you could define what SPACE stands for. So the SPACE model is actually an acronym. Uh, The five letters stand for share, probe, acknowledge, connect, and engage. And essentially, it is a way to navigate these conversations in a way that's uh, both reliable, uh, highly reproducible, and scalable. So when you share information, it's usually like talking about the case, going over some of the ground rules. Uh, Then you probe, which is 
asking some questions, trying to see uh, if you can draw out biases or take inventory of the different impressions in the room. Uh, then you acknowledge. So that's using the simple contextual understanding and naming issues, things that actually occur or that are present in that conversation. The next part is to, as I said, connect. And then when you connect, what you're trying to do is, is link some of those points to present day examples and then like whittling it down so that there's clear takeaways behind maybe like a point of bias. And then finally you engage, which is providing the reflections, thinking about actions or corrective actions and brainstorming uh, ways to kind of solve these problems that exist. Excellent. Thank you so much for going through that description of the space model. I, out of curiosity, what was the initial reception among your colleagues uh, when you were trying to, to roll this out? It's interesting because I think it came at a time where people were already delving into some of these conversations. And so it was for them, helpful to have some way of navigating them in a way that was constructive and familiar, right? So most uh, physicians or people who are in the healthcare space have done these, what we call um, lunch and learn models or where you're having a brown bag sack lunch conversation where you're sitting down and talking about a medical case. So they were familiar with that, but they didn't know was how to serve as a facilitator. And most of the hesitation came from the contextual elements, like being able to provide data supporting the presence of some of these biases and knowing at a deeper level what systemic and structural features are at play. So their uh, hesitation came from that, not necessarily navigating the case. I think I spent more time with them understanding their own biases and knowing how to not have a moment where their awareness of their own biases in real time would infringe on the ability of the audience to gain understanding of their own biases. So to put it more simply, everyone that's conducting this is not necessarily an expert in the space. And so they may discover things about themselves in the process. But as a facilitator, you have to still continue to gather and take inventory of all the impressions in the room. So that was sometimes difficult for my colleagues to be like, hey, you know, I'm not going to be an expert in this, and I might learn something about myself that's unsettling. Well, I, I think that's part of the beauty of the model, right? You're, you're learning as you actually instruct through the model. Um, it keeps you sort of humble, right? But it also, as you do it more and more, you're probably finding additional value in and that was one of my follow-up questions. So, you know, what has been the impact of the, the safe space model in your organization? Well, we've been successful at scaling it. Uh, I'll talk about it in two different contexts because I, I do both undergraduate medical education and graduate medical education. So for our older or our residents, the impact has been they actually look forward to these sessions. A lot of times as a resident, you're focusing on becoming clinically excellent. And this is something that is often uncoupled from the idea of clinical excellence. So when they do these, it is almost like weaving it back in, saying this does make you clinically excellent to be able to have these conversations and to be able to understand the way these can modify health outcomes. So I think that they like that and they understand the learning points behind it and the objectives. For the medical students, they have an entirely different reaction. It's extremely exciting to them because a lot of times they want to have these conversations. 
They feel like there's expanded opportunity and capacity to discuss things that are often taboo or often issued to the side. And then for the ones who are extremely or highly motivated, this gives them uh, essentially a launch pad for a body of work that they can create over the course of their careers. So it's like being introduced to something that is now uh, almost a seamlessly woven in piece of medicine, and they get the chance to explore it. And it happens in repetition, multiple uh, cycles. So not just on our emergency medicine rotations, but just about every clerkship that they encounter has an element of health equity rounds involved in it. So that gives them multiple passes at it. That's very interesting. It makes it seem as though there are generational differences that uh, sort of crop up in the application and understanding and use of the model, um, which I, I think is typical, right? Um, with each successive generation, hopefully we are coming to a better understanding of race, racism, systemic, other systemic oppression issues and are able to uh, pass on to a younger generation that can actually have these conversations and not feel the anxiety and discomfort in doing so. So Stephanie, let's bring you into the conversation. You were part of an introductory pilot program for health equity rounds with Italo at Alta Bates Medical Center, part of the Sutter Health System. And I wonder if you could share a little bit about your reactions and what you would like to see happen with this in the future. Sure. And thank you for having me today. When I was at the session, I was immediately struck, just like you said, Italo, that I saw physician colleagues really engaged and captivated, honestly, in a way that you don't often see in the grand round setting. The way that you walk people through, the information and the establishing of the safe space, but it also comes with, you know, a requirement to be open and to be vulnerable that, you know, really allows for important conversations to be had, but for everyone to be held in a way that that really is safe. And so it's a very important discussion and conversation, but it's just done in such a way that really speaks to those who are used to that Socratic method and the grand rounds nature of healthcare. You really kind of, people don't really expect it, but then they, they get drawn in in a way, just like if we were talking about a very interesting medical topic. You just don't see it often, and it was really special to witness. I hope that we can see this Health Equity Rounds initiative really scaled through the system, the Sutter system. I'd like to start by seeing it in more departments at Alta Bates Summit Medical Center. But, you know, the idea would be to have something like this throughout our system that we could deploy as a very important tool in the way that we practice medicine every day. The ability to create policy change that is agreed upon by peers that truly affects the quality of the healthcare that we provide is truly unique, and I'd like to see more of it at Altivate Summit and throughout Sutter Health. As you both know, there can be hesitancy in raising concerns of social drivers of health that may be discriminatory, like racism, like xenophobia, homophobia, or gender bias in rounding. 
So what's your response to those who might feel uncomfortable with these topics? My response is that you have to lean into a little bit of that hesitancy and ask yourself deeper questions like, where does that come from? Is it because of a lack of knowledge of what those things are and how they manifest? Is it because you've seen them or you have been someone who might unknowingly exercise some of those discriminatory practices? Like these are roots of that hesitation that people experience. The way that I tend to approach it is, first of all, normalizing that everyone has some element of this operating in them at a, in the background or even in the foreground. So when you normalize that, it kind of sets the, the playing field a little bit more evenly. The next thing is I constantly tell people that there's not a, a single expert at this level. You know, people are still learning, still growing. And as folks who have ascribed to lifelong learning, it's within our, it's a part of our creed to try to access this information and become as close to masters as we can of it. And then the final thing that I say is, and it's really special because I think everybody's medical specialty, whatnot, uh, seeks to have understanding of a language, uh, whether it's, you know, ophthalmologists or our obstetric and gynecology colleagues, if it's uh, our orthopedic colleagues, and even in emergency medicine, we have to be able to speak a language of our profession. And so this is a part of the language of healthcare. This is the part of the language of delivering equitable healthcare. So if you're not able to have these conversations and understand kind of at a fundamental level what each one of these things means, how it inserts itself into our care in the way that it affects patients, then you're not doubling down on your commitment to be the best clinician that you can be. So that's kind of how I phrase it. At Sutter, at the Institute for Advancing Health Equity, we share both data and stories at the same time, and neither, never one without the other because of the, the true impact. So we can share a patient's story, but we also can share what the health disparities are. And when we get to discuss the social drivers of health, we then can talk about the root causes of those and really understand that it's structural racism. It's a system that was designed to give us the outcomes that we have at this point. And if we aim to change those outcomes, we must dismantle the racism that is within the, inherent within the system because it was designed that way. And I think when you take it up to structural racism and truly explain to people things like, redlining and what that is and and how we've come to be placed as people in the places that we are. And, And then you think about what is or is not within each of those communities that we describe. You really take the individual racism piece and put it in context for people. So it's not just a you are racist or biased discussion, but it is that the system is racist. And it is giving us the outcomes that we're getting because it was designed that way. And so that's why also Health Equity Rounds is so special because, again, we are changing policies. We're not trying to just change and, you know, it's not a fix each individual racist person approach. This is policy change at a system level that will give us a different outcome, which is really special and very important to really take the temperature down and just allow people to realize this is more than just me. 
Yeah, I want to echo something that both of you have said and just sort of call it out. I notice when we've done any kind of unconscious bias training in any health system, there's a real generational difference. So the younger professionals are apparently more aware and ready to accept this as part of systemic bias, systemic racism in our country. And they don't take it personally. They've actually been very much, I think, schooled to think of this as part of the human condition. We all have biases. It's, I dare say, the older generation of physicians who haven't been exposed to this, haven't thought about it the way that I think younger generations have. And there's where the real conversations take off. And I think it's so healthy. I think it's so productive because it's peer-to-peer. And what makes a huge difference, again, to your point, uh, Stephanie, about the data, once you start presenting the data about inequities, about maternal health and mortality among African-American women, people of color, I find that to be the equalizing moment where everyone realizing this is something that we as a profession do need to take on. So I think those are the factors that really can make this successful is understanding how difficult it can be to accept that we all have bias, but at the same time presenting the data. So when you think about how we improve the adoption of health equity rounds, like ideally it would be wonderful if if this spread across the country. Should we be introducing the concept in medical schools or are health equity rounds something that should be required by organizations like the Joint Commission or National Center for Quality Assurance? Um, Stephanie, why don't we start with you in terms of that question? So I think that this type of approach is a wonderful tool and truly whether it should be adopted by national organization or not, you know, I think we are looking hopefully to evaluate um, and see what the impact is. And I think we, that's a you know, better discussion once we can really demonstrate the impact. I think if it does what we feel like it will do, I think so, you know, because again, how do we get at, at structural change within healthcare? And if we're doing that and we have a tool that does that, and does that well, and we can demonstrate a proof of concept. I mean, I think you're you're talking about you know a pretty uh, remarkable tool. I feel like adopting something like this within a system as an, an active tool to generate change is the way I would like to see it used. Because again, making change can be difficult. Um, we're de- dealing with multiple generations of physicians and clinicians, um, and everyone has their own, you know, in healthcare, we're allowed to use some individual discretion um, in the care that we deliver and who we are and how we show up for our patients. So it's really important, again, to really change systems, not think you're going to change individual people one at a time. I think that's a very important point. And it sounds like maybe the both of you are doing some some research in this area or your teams are doing some research to really understand its effectiveness? Yes, that's an exciting opportunity that we have upon us is really to start to look at the impact and understand it in a way that, you know, will be able to demonstrate again proof of concept and the uptake becomes natural and necessary. That's excellent. Yes, Stephanie, let me expand on that too. I know we've 
had that conversation at Sutter, how do we measure the impact of this? And I think early on, perhaps the one thing we're all looking for is just increased awareness of systemic bias. But uh, let me bring that back to Italo. Have you sort of thought about what are the impacts you'd like to see? And if anybody is now beginning to measure those uh, within your circle of influence there. So I think that this is all a very new idea to try to measure the way that conversations around anti-racism, social justice, and health equity actually move the needle for people in these spaces, particularly when it comes to health outcomes. I look at it from two different angles. I look at it from a DEI angle and from a health equity lens. So in terms of awareness, you can measure whether or not the, the workspace is becoming a little bit more I guess, inclusive. You can measure whether these conversations uh, drive potential retention or rather how reporting mechanisms are a little bit more alleviated or used more frequently. These all can be proxy measures of whether or not this material is starting to permeate. And then I think for a medical school lens, what we look at is how this becomes a selling tool for students to know that they're coming into an environment where these kinds of conversations are encouraged done so in an academic fashion so that uh, there's always a learning objective attached to this and there's always a way to measure whether or not your biases are improving. From the health equity side, it's, does this translate into downstream changes in, in outcomes? And so that's going to come down to dashboards and metrics. Uh, and I think that there are ways to create those things based upon everybody's individual system. The reason why I think that this approach is most, I would say, be uh, something that could be adopted broader it's because it's something that already is happening. You know, when we do our M&Ms, we track whether or not those kinds of conversations, and I mean like our mistakes in management, our, our medical management practices, we track whether or not the knowledge of going over these cases changes our practice and our ability to acknowledge these blind spots. And I think that doing this increases that ability, but in an entire different category than just our clinical management. So it's not something I think that's that's foreign to us or unfamiliar. More than anything, it's about creating dedicated resources to develop the evaluation systems and teams to do that. And unfortunately, we're just not at a place at a system-wide level where that is prioritized. If that becomes a priority, I think it'd be easy to tackle. When we think about um, adopting health equity rounds or tool like this within healthcare systems, the other thing we need to think about is again, that it doesn't have to be seamless. It can be added on and it, and it ushers in a new era. I like always like in health equity where we are now is, you know, when, when patient safety began to take its rightful place within the healthcare quality discussion, you know, 20 to 30 years ago, we can think back to the likely temper tantrums that were thrown from having to write mark the surgical site, you know, <laughs> but we're talking about, you know, you don't want to cut off the wrong leg. Um, and now we're talking about why are you cutting off more of that population's legs than this one? And that's the difference. And so we're taking that conversation and, and continuing to move it and continuing to improve healthcare and quality and driving outcomes as a result. And so when we're doing something that big, um, it often requires big changes and big things. And so it doesn't need to be a seamless folding in of health equity rounds. We can do something different. We now have patient safety huddles. And that was never heard of, you know, 30 years ago. But that's how hospitals start their day 
now, before every operating room case, you do a timeout. These were new practices that were adopted. And so within Sutter Health and the Institute for Advancing Health Equity, we want to drive a culture change. And that's what we have to do. And so deploying tools like this isn't comfortable, but we continue anyway. And again, we are advancing the science of health equity, which is why it's important to measure, because we are scientists and this is a part of the science that we do. I just want to say that was beautiful. And I want to tack on one point with that. Those two examples that you used are cost efficient examples. You know, they didn't to do a huddle didn't cost any additional money. To do a timeout didn't cost any additional money. It was just a framework, a way of thinking of things. And so I agree with you on that. Thank you for for uh, bringing those examples to the forefront. Yeah, this just came up for me as I'm hearing both of you, and it's not a question we have on the list. So we'll get to the last question here in a moment. But I think the listeners would want to hear something about what's the best place to start this? Where does this begin? What would you say is the ideal starting point for introducing health equity rounds? I actually think that any space that has enough, I guess, tracking for any type of outcome is a great place. Meaning like if you are aware of a bad case happening or a case that can be explored, I think that that's a great space to try to do this in. And if you're in a particular training program. So it doesn't have to be limited, in my opinion, to just medical training. I think that there's reason to have it in EMS training, in nursing training, in almost every person who is in the arc of care providing that they can have access to this type of a, a modality. But no, I don't think that it has to be something that is in a vehicle that's pre-created or has enough volume it honestly just needs to have dedicated people willing to go over a case, come up with those points, and then do a little bit of research to have uh, supporting pieces for people who have questions, and then really focus on what it takes to build that mental image of what happened so people can mentally teleport themselves to being in that provider role or in that role to seeing it in real time. I think, too, kind of the way that we... I saw the Health Equity Rounds initiative roll out within the uh, Altivate Summit OBGYN department. When you're doing the same thing over and over again, and you, you can't change your outcomes, when you can't change your result, and you're wondering, what can we do? The Black maternal health crisis, crisis is requiring something different. And so the commitment to doing something different and finding a different solution because what we're doing is not working within a profession for a whole population of people. It's the prime opportunity to deploy something different. Um, And that's what this is. And again, you know, it gives people an opportunity to safely discuss very important things. We know what the root cause of the maternal health disparities is. It's racism. But how do you talk about that? in the hospital, on rounds, from patient to patient, you have to do something different. And so the commitment to changing the outcomes for the good is where you start. As soon as someone makes a commitment, this is an excellent way to come in and really, truly take you on a journey to explore what it is that we're doing and how we got here. That's a great segue into our last question for the two of you. We realize 
how hard this work is, uh, particularly in our current social environment across the, the country. So how do you both stay motivated to do this work? Part of it is, I think it's, it's very proximal to me. I don't want to speak for Stephanie and Tyler, but we work in an emergency department where we see these things occur constantly. And you're reminded of it at every hour of every shift that you're on. And so being someone who's kind of like dedicated towards trying to alleviate these issues and also identify blind spots is always on, the, on my mind. The other part is I have a community of people who are also trying to tackle this challenge and who are sharing ideas in a very fluid, freeform, organic way. And so it, it allows me to tap into community for both personal wellness, but also idea, like free idea creation. So that's how I stay motivated is I watch how the colleagues that I, I truly hold in high regard are learning about themselves and continuing to promote great ideas and generate potential game-changing ideas. And then I'm seeing this stuff constantly and thinking of ways to try to intervene. So it just gives me more substrate for that. Yeah, I'll echo that. When you hold up the safety net, you can't help but want to do something. And doing something requires policy change. And so we have to recognize that the care we provide is person by person, one individual to another. But we do the same thing with so many different people. It becomes a group and it becomes a population. And the natural uh, response for me as well is to come up to the 10,000 foot level and to start to see how we can, you know, look at these, look at these data and really influence change. Working in a system like Sutter Health, where we have since the inception of the Institute and, and before that, even, um, you know, we have really been supported to make big policy changes within the system. Uh, we access the might of our EHR, showing the data and telling the stories and truly, you know, being supported by our um, administrators to, to make this, the changes that we need to, understanding that the investment in, in the health of our patients is a long-term investment um, and, and always worth it. So that is extremely motivating to, to work within a system where those who can make the changes and help you make the changes are standing to take away barriers and, and deliver on that promise rather than creating more um, bureaucracy and things like that is truly motivating and inspiring. Just the fact that we have the Health Equity Rounds program um, in pilot is fantastic and phenomenal. When you're in a system that allows you to be an early adopter and an innovator is truly uh, inspiring and motivating to continue to do the work. Thank you. There's definitely something to be said about being supported by leaders within the healthcare organization uh, to advance this type of work. I'm super proud of Sutter Health. It's, it's a wonderful step in the right direction. I want to thank you both for your time. I know you're extraordinarily busy, and we really appreciate the insights and the uh, dedication that you both have shown to this work. So thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Yes, thank you for having us. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Centering Health Equity, a podcast dedicated to conversations on reducing bias in healthcare and advancing health equity. You've been listening to our conversation with Dr. Stephanie Brown, the clinical lead for Sutter Health's Institute for Advancing Health Equity, and Dr. Italo Brown, 
the Health Equity and Social Justice Curriculum Thread Lead at Stanford University School of Medicine. For more information about their work, please visit our website at centeringhealthequity.com. You'll find show notes and more information about our guests. If you'd like to be on our show or would like to recommend someone for us to interview, please share this with us on our website and send us your recommendation on Twitter at Center Health EQ. Until next time, be well.